This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Bushwood Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Woo! Could not do it without you. Seriously, every single person that subscribes to us, I appreciate what you do for the podcast. It means a big difference for me and Greg for producing a podcast every single Tuesday night for you, for all the Ranger fans out there. If you want to go to patreon.com slash breakaway today and donate a little bit to help us out, maybe get some school stickers, a t-shirt in return, we really appreciate it. Today's episode, we've got me and Greg talking a lot about the Rangers. A little bit about the Mets, of course, as you know, that will always happen. We have our good friend Matthew Estevez on to talk about the downfall of the Lightning and getting swept in the first round by the Blue Jackets and why that happened. Matt does a seriously great job breaking that down. And also, we come back, talk a little bit of Marvel Endgame and Game of Thrones, as you expected. We will give you a sufficient warning as to when that's happening if you're listening and if you're not interested in any of those. But it happens at the end of the podcast, and I will have it marked in the description also. Let's get to today's show. Here we go. Hey, Bushwick Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Bushwick Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I am here with my co-host, as per always, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello. I don't want to. Okay, welcome to the only Rangers podcast that posts every consecutive Tuesday for the last 178 days. We only talk, days, Tuesdays, and we only talk about the New York Rangers. This week, Jacob DeGrom didn't get an MRI, Greg. What are your thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't this technically number 179, by the way? Oh, it is. Haven't we reached? Yeah, Um, you're right. Just... I don't want to talk about it. He seems fine. That's great. But we all know how the story goes. How could you like just – you could not – can you not afford an MRI? All right. Let's talk about the Rangers. I just <laughs> – they, they blamed it. They legit blamed it on Easter. They're like, yeah, doctors don't work on Easter. First of all – Okay, Mets. I got news for you. Yeah, there's some Jewish doctors out there. A lot of Jewish doctors, of Jewish doctors out My there. My dad being one of them. Yep. We work on Easter. Mr. Kaplan. It's just a Sunday for us. Yeah, I don't want to pass over that, but I guess we'll go to the Rangers. Ah, <laughs> uh, we did it. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, yeah, what a miserable holiday that is. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Dude, all right. it's terrible. Have you ever... No, I what's have What's the longest you've gone without eating bread? Like, consecutive day. Miss, huh. I, I know you're not gluten-free, so I, I am, first of all. I am certainly not. Uh, I did vegetarianism for a while in college. Okay. I, bread, I did bread is not a meat, so uh, this should uh, be fine. Understandable. I did that for six months just to see if I could do it. Then my friend force-fed me a burger, and I, I'm eating meat to this day. Uh, okay, no, bread. no carbs is really tough. I think maybe three days. Maybe. Yeah. Imagine as a young child, like under the age of 15, all the way to your, to your first birthday, just eight days in April where you don't get bread. It sounds like a first world problem, but it also sounds miserable. <laughs> like totally miserable. miserable. Cause you know, you go to school and it's not like everyone in your school is Jewish. So all your non-Jewish friends are eating their mozzarella sticks and they're, their sloppy joes and their PB and J's, and you're sitting there with fucking and this blob of gefilte fish, and you're just like, yeah, no, life is equal. This makes sense. Gefilte fish is immediately brings me to rush hour too. Like within gefilte fish is delicious. First of all, I, but I don't want to eat gefilte fish when all my friends are eating delicious shit. 
It's really like a, a torture thing for you. I mean, a Sloppy Joe good. sounds fucking amazing right now. <laughs> I'm, not, with you. I'm not saying it's the it's the exact same as being enslaved in Egypt, but Whoa. <laughs> I understand the plight of my people. A Sloppy Joe Fortunato right in my mouth. So you know what I'm talking about. All right. I don't want to the... ever, ever, ever imagine that. <laughs> the New York Rangers. Man, uh, there is some interesting news for this week. I mean, the first thing is that Steve Yeiserman, Steve Y will be... Mm are not next president or GM at all. So that's good. No, are you really are we really surprised to? Um I just wish we'd get an interview, but I think uh he used New York as sort of a leverage situation where he was that like man, we talked about this I feel like a year ago. Oh, well, Bill Billy Jack Day. It's coming. Uh we did talk about this in like September though. Yeah we did. And we said he was going to Detroit. Yeah, and because he, he came out, he was like, I'm retiring, I just want to go home, and I don't want to work anymore. Wink, 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 wink. So, uh, I understand that he will not be coming here. It is a huge bummer. I'm just curious as to who the president will be now. I mean, it's not going to be... Messier has got to be one of the leading candidates at this point? No, I, everything... I mean, Brooks has written it, but it's not like Brooks is batting a thousand. Brooks is having a tough every, couple weeks, by the way. Everything points to John Davidson being mm-hmm. the Rangers president. And that's fine, I guess. I, the real question for me, which I think is going to be the larger theme of the podcast this week, is what exactly do you think the new president of hockey operations is going to do for the New York Rangers? Like, what is what is your vision? So I feel like Sather did a lot more than usually a president would, right? So I'm actually not too sure of what presidents do in a lot of different aspects other than make, like, certain final decisions. Like, I guess the general manager comes with, up with all the ideas, the trades, the signings, brings them to the president and says, here's the reasoning for this, and the president has to sign off on that, right? Whereas I feel like Sather had more of a sway or a power over Gordon, but even I, though I, Gordon I, was... I feel like Sather had that power pre-Gordon. He did, And yes. then once they promoted Gorton to general manager, it kind of felt like that was the passing of the torch. It was, and I think Sather like, had more of like the president title just to kind of have it as a respectful thing, but I still mm. feel like he had his hands in certain trades, possibly while Gordon was around. Right, uh, like do we think, we don't think it was Glenn Sather's idea to rebuild, right? We're, we're pretty certain it was Jeff Gorton taking a hard look at his roster and going, Guys, this isn't going to cut it. We need to start over. I think Gordon had a PowerPoint presentation with Dolan and Sather and was like, listen, I know where we are. I know what we're doing, but there's no way we're going to compete with this. And here's the curve of how players age. And here's how we're going to lose over the next couple of years. And here, if we keep contending, we're just going to be out in the first round like the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Penguins every single year. So it's, it's, it's we have to rebuild to be a Stanley Cup team. Right, and I, I think you don't get the rebuild without Sather signing off on it. So for all the for all the warts and all the questionable decisions that Glenn Sather conducted over the years, um, he, he gets credit for at least understanding or listening to the guy he put in the general manager's chair who said we need to start over. But the, the real question is, so that's what Sather was. Now, what do we exactly expect someone like John Davidson to be? Because, first of all, we haven't heard any other name besides John Davidson and Steve Eisenman. And Eisenman, obviously, is now off the table. We heard Messier so once. Only, we did. I, but that was more of just, I think, Brooks being Brooks and okay. fans being fans. Legit, the only name we've heard with any real umph behind it is John Davidson. And it, it makes a whole lot of sense. He's currently the president of hockey operations with the Blue Jackets. He was the president of hockey operations with the Blues. 
He has long ties to the Rangers organization. It's sure you, you could do worse, right? This is a guy who has a lot of creative ideas, it seems like. He is the guy that signed off on the Blue Jackets going all in. He He's the guy that hired the only non-North American general manager to run his front office. So it, it, it's not like John Davidson is 80 years old and out of tune with the hockey world. He's a guy that takes swings. But it just feels odd to me, and it's always felt odd to me, that the president, the new president of hockey operations is going to come in. He's going to assume control of the franchise, basically. And his first course of action is going to say, everybody's doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Like, that's always felt weird to me. And I think that's part of the reason why the 90% of the reason why Eisenman is not with the New York Rangers is because we simply aren't in Detroit. I, I believe that to my core. But I think there's 10% where Eisenman realized he's not going to be able to make this team in his vision. I, I feel like the new president is going to come in and whether they like it or not, they're going to have to let Gorton finish it, right? Hmm. And that just feels – it feels odd to me because it's like it's like buying a home, but instead of immediately moving into that home, you have to rent it out for a couple of years first. Well, this brings me to a good good counterpoint is how much longer is Gordon's process? Would you say we're like halfway through? Would you say? I I, I think we're, if you, if we are to believe the Rangers are speeding up this process, I think we're 75% of the way there. So you've got one more real year before it's got to be like, Hey, we got to fucking accelerate here. As I've told you many times on this Uh, podcast. You have many, many, many times. Yeah. This is the year the Rangers are going to compete for a playoff spot. Next year is the year the Rangers want to compete for a cup. This year being the next season for everyone listening at home. 2019-2020. Right. The New York Rangers would like to be a wild card team. And then 2020-2021, the New York Rangers want to be talked about as a team competing for the President's Trophy. I feel like that all comes down to some certain signings with especially Panarin. And I mean, getting him here, and it really does seem like it's between us and the Florida Panthers. They'll have the other pitch. That I know and you're gonna, I know what you're going to say, Sunrise, Florida. But, it does suck. But the other thing, who does who does Artemi Panarin play for right now? The Blue Jackets. A little bit of connection who there. Who are run by? John Davidson. So, that helps. It does help. It seems like there's some connection there. I mean, he, they obviously know each other. There but has to go, be a reason. Going back, going back to the original point, it's just, it, it's odd to me that you would hire a guy to run your hockey organization, but tell him, to not change how your hockey organization is currently being run. That's always felt backwards. And that's always why I felt like it just made the most sense to promote Gordon because say their hand picked him. Uh, he's Gordon has been able to convince Sather and Dolan of this plan that he is more than halfway down the road on. And it's basically been his ship for the last two years. So it just, it feels odd to hire someone above Gordon and then to have that boss be not able to give out his orders for the first year and a half, two years. It just, it feels backwards. It does. I can't imagine when the Mets hired Sandy Alderson, it's not like, Hey, by the way, you have to keep everyone. Well, who's the Mets, the, the, like out of curiosity, and this is the Mets podcast. uh, Who's like the Mets president now? Well, now it's Jeff Wilpon. 
Right. See, that's, that's just... It may, have, it may have always been Jeff Wilpon. Yeah, that, that's where we're saying. Like, I don't think you know a lot of teams' presidents, but you definitely know a lot of teams' GMs. Well... In every I sport. That's, In I don't a- know if that's so true anymore. In baseball, it's, it's evolving, right? Take the Mets out of it. I know the Brewers' presidents of baseball operation and not their GM because they promoted David Stearns. Right. I know the Giants' president of baseball operations, but not their GM. I know the Rays. Uh, because it's, I, I know the Rays' president of baseball GM over their GM. It, it's becoming like it, it used to be when we were growing up, the GM was basically the president of baseball or hockey or basketball operations. And now it's kind of evolved to where the GM is more of the underling under the guy who has the plan. And we all know who the guy is that has the plan. And the way the Rangers have been run the last couple of years, it feels like Gorton has been the guy with the plan. And he's been able to convince Sather of the plan, who's then been able to convince Dolan of the plan. And I'm sure it's not as simple as that. I'm sure Sather is providing insight. This is a guy that's been in hockey for longer than you and I have been alive. He won cups before we were born. Do you think we can get, get Sather on the podcast now? Is that like, that's no, a stupid uh, question, no. but do you think it's possible? There's, there's no chance. He's going to be like, be living in Greece, dude. Like he's not going to be in the States. I wonder if we can get him to call in and be like, Hey, I just want to know what you did. Like what for, was he? First of, he's keeping a title with the Rangers. So we'll never talk to him. Oh, all right. You're right. Never mind. He's like senior advisor. And that's his like just new title. If they're with, if they work with the Rangers, they're never coming on Blue Shirts Breakaway, everyone. That's how that goes. <laughs> um, it just it I don't know. And I it doesn't sound like you necessarily disagree. It just it feels weird. Which is which brings me back to John Davis. I'm just right? not sure it, what your day to day is as the president. Like what do you do every day? Like what did Phil well, Jackson do every day? That doesn't really count. But you know, you well, no, it should it shouldn't count because what <laughs> Phil Jackson did was take <laughs> An organization, basically. Yeah, go to but sleep. But that's also the point, right? Phil Jackson didn't hire people under him. So it's it's one of those things where Phil took the reins and then was like, nah, I got this. And then he didn't want to do it. And when he didn't want to do it, he didn't have the pieces in place to do anything. And that's why the Knicks ended up where the Knicks did. It just, it feels like it, it but this this is the, really the reason why I wanted to get into this with you. Because with Iserman, it felt like he would have, he would have been the puppeteer, right? Mm-hmm. He would have been controlling everything. He well, would yeah, have been involved in everything. I feel and like he would have had a, his guy. hands on literally every aspect of, of of Rangers organization, anywhere from all the prospects all the way to scouting, trades, yeah. everything. Yeah, and maybe he's not the guy calling other GMs trying to initiate trades, but he's the guy telling his GM, like, hey, these are the players I want to target. This is what I think we should do. Here's our five-year plan. And I think Eisenman would want to come in with his own set of rules. Whereas John Davidson, I, it, it feels like Davidson's going to, or whoever the Rangers hire is going to come in and just allow what's been happening to continue to happen. And if John Davidson's the guy to do that, it, I think it's fine. If the Rangers feel like they're in a pretty, pretty secure boat and they want to just keep going down this, this sea, then sure, John Davidson is a perfectly qualified man to do that. And he comes with a lot of gravitas and respect. Um, what I think people have been annoyed about is they were hoping the new president of operations would come in and, for example, overhaul the analytics department. And I, we, I don't, I don't know. You don't know. We both don't. None know. None of us really know how involved the Rangers are with analytics. We've heard which is very little. I mean, we know one person who is Drew Way, 
who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody about the athletics right. department. It, 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 what we've been able to gather is it feels like a very condensed department. Sure. I, I don't even know if we can go that far. Right. Um, but what we, what we do know is, is that in order for the new president to come in and add to the analytics department or add anywhere really in the organization, he needs to either sell the idea to Gordon or have Gordon understand that this is something that needs to be changed. And I don't know how you see the situation. There's nothing about this search or the New York Rangers actions over the last 12 months that indicates to me, they feel like there's a problem with anything they're doing. And if they don't feel like there's a problem with anything they're doing, which there might not be, I'm just saying, if they don't feel like there's a problem with anything they're doing, it's curious to me that we expected them to overhaul significant portions of the front office. I'm only, I did the Greg noise. Part of me feels this way. They're just going to hire Davidson because they want Panarin. And they feel like that is going to be the key to getting him here. And they'll do anything at all costs to get him here. Because you've said on this podcast, and so have I. If Panarin doesn't come, this rebuild is a lot longer. It just is. It's, it's at least another one or two years where you're waiting. You need that elite player, that upside player who's going to be able to draw other players here. Not that we have the cap for it. Uh, or is going to be able to carry this team a little bit. And you've seen Panarin do it in the, in the postseason versus the Penguins, rest in peace. So if he doesn't come, I don't he think... He did against the Lightning this year. Oh, sorry, Lightning. The Islanders beat the Penguins. They both got swept. They're, they're just uh, so interchangeable in my mind. Where, I know, so rude for the Lightning. Poor guys. We're going to have uh, our good friend Matt Steves slash Estevez to come on in a few minutes to talk with us about the process of having a 62-win team get swept. And boy, that's got to be fun for me. Uh, but I I forget where I was, but I think it was just, if we don't get Panarin, this rebuild's going to be so much longer. And I can't see a way around that. Yeah, I, but I, I don't think the Rangers are looking at Davidson as Panarin insurance. You don't I, see it as a key? No, I, I think the Rangers, since Sather stepped down, have just told themselves, Davidson's our guy. And if if he has a positive relationship with Panarin, that's just added benefit. But I think Davidson is completely independent of any kind of Panarin decision the Rangers are making. I, th- I just, it's, it, I will say this. It's curious to me the Rangers seem so content, relaxed I, about I, this whole process. Kind of with you on that. Because I was reading some, uh, some bloggies today. Uh, and everyone on Rangers blog, Sphere, Twitter, whatever, is doing the end of season report cards, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, yep. uh, what, how did this player do this year? How did this person do this year? And... I think a general consensus is that most of the players were okay, but not great, with the exception of Mika Sabinajad. And Jeff Gordon is like a B, right? He's like yeah. a B. Now, you don't win cups with a B, but you're not sad about it. Like, B-plus students get ignored. I was a B student. I was ignored a lot, and that's why I can't write or read. <laughs> because if I was worse than I am now... I would actually have gotten the help I needed. And if I was actually excelling, then no one would worry about me. They would be like, oh, they would say, this kid is so great. He's wonderful. But I was the B student who everyone ignored, the B minus student. And that's kind of Jeff Gordon right now. Because we're just kind of being like, oh, things are good. They're not that bad. They're not that great either. Is, is- well, I do wonder if part of that is is we just didn't play with stakes this year. So it's really hard to evaluate what certain players did. Because we didn't really have 
hard expectations for anybody. When, when, when all you have to do in order to pass the class is show any kind of signs of improvement, you're going to be graded on a curve. It, it's, we would have graded Filipino's season completely differently if we expected the New York Rangers to be a top four team in the East. I'm really glad it you're having this, have... this turn here because this kind of comes to my next question. Is yes, hit me. What, you can go. You could time travel like you're Brandon Stark. A little bit of a spoiler there. My bad. Uh, you can go back in time. Would you bridge Brady Shea instead? No, you wouldn't. No. Yeah, and you feel no very, you, you feel very confident about that. I mean, I the more I keep thinking about Brady Shea and the more I keep reading about it, like I am a little worried that maybe we gave him like it's like another stall contract. I know he's young. I know he is. And yeah, I know the he, big difference is he's young. Yeah, the big, the big difference is even if we think Brady Shea's stock took a little bit of a dip this season, this this summer and next summer you move you can move that contract. That contract is not an albatross. You can they're one of the most popular names on the trade market this offseason is going to be Rasmus Ristolainen, who I have never met anyone who knows a lick about understanding advanced metrics that has a nice thing to say about Rasmus Ristolainen. And this is a guy that I would not be surprised if he gets a second round pick in return. And he's got four and a half million per year at, I think, three years left on that contract. And it sounds like there's not just a robust market for him, but he is in demand. So if my theory is if you can trade Rasmus Ristolainen, Brady Shea's better than him. Brady Shea's either the same age or younger than him. And Brady Shea does more things for your team on a nightly basis that show up both analytically and with the eye test. So if there's a market for Rasmus Ristolainen, there will be a market for Brady Shea. I do not worry about that at all. You know how I feel about bridge deals. So I just, I'm completely out on it. And I, we're going to have uh, Evolving Wild back on too because they released their predictions oh, for free agents this summer. That's going to be like a three-hour podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they might have bridged a guy who rhymes with uh, Chavel Shuchevich. Don't, don't do this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. But but back to the point I was making, it's just, it's hard to evaluate. You can't fail anyone except Neil Pionk if all they had to do this year was look like they're improving. And for the most part, it outside of, again, Pionk and Jimmy Vesey, it's hard to say anyone on the New York Rangers didn't take some kind of step forward. The, the thing that matters most is when you want to be winning again, did the players take enough? of a step forward this year to satisfy those needs and the only way to really find that out is to put yourself in a position to win and the only way the rangers can do that is adding a guy like panarin drafting a guy like kako bringing in a defenseman a high-end defenseman that can solidify the defensive unit and then when you have those three pieces in place then we can get down to critically identifying which players can actually be here for long haul that that's really what it comes down to the stakes were so low this year that you couldn't fail. And if you did fail, it says more about you than it does the team. That's I, why the reaction to Neil Pionk has been so violent well, this, this offseason. You want to get to that right now? You want to? Yeah, sure. So you put up two polls but today. Do you, but do you, disagree, do you disagree with that point? No, I don't. I, I, I am a little scared about the number that Brady Shea got, but his age really puts it in perspective where I do think you could ship him out if you really were worried about it. Now, yeah, I just think there's always going to be a market. Now, we don't have any other defensemen, so it's important that we keep Brady Shea. Let me make that clear. 
But I, I am worried about Brady Shea's development, and I don't think he's going to be the player I once thought he would be. And on top of that, I want to respond to your trade, uh, the Riskalainen trade idea. Uh, I will never understand the NHL trade market, and I hope to one day. I have a very good feeling for the NBA and the MLB, what a fair trade is and what a fair trade is not, and what is in demand. I have no clue in the NHL. I feel like I never have a, I never have a clue. I understand the Rangers trades, but when it comes to other trades in the, in, in the NHL, like, I don't know. I really don't get it anymore. It's, it's very strange to me how, I don't, how GMs I don't value anyone, things. I don't know anyone personally that we interact with, and I, I don't think we're close-minded when it comes to who we interact with. I think you and I both admit we're pretty dumb, so we try to interact with I think everybody. we say that every week, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I go out of my way to try and find someone that has a good thing to say about Rasmus Ristolainen. And they, uh, Sean Tierney seems like a, a super sweet guy. Tears We've had great. him on the podcast. Yep. Ryan Stimson, really funny guy. We've had him on the podcast. Those guys know numbers, and Ryan specifically knows Buffalo better than most people do. And yet people like Ristolainen, even though everything says there's nothing to like about this guy. So it just boggles the mind. When he gets traded this offseason for something of value, I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and be like, all right, cool, that's the NHL. It's just particularly strange. You put up two polls on the Twitter.com. At our I Twitter, did. at our Twitter handle at Boosters Breaky, which you can follow right now if you go to Twitter.com. You should get you get you get partial credit for this because you encouraged me to do more interactive shit. I did doing more I, I, interactive I, shit. I actually didn't encourage you. I flamed other people for doing it. But yes, um, but that's besides the point. And one of the polls you put up was that who would you rather have next year? Was it Mark Stahl or Neil Piok? And we got it, a we got a ton of votes. Yeah, so it's. The way I word it is you have to roster one of them. Right. You, you have to. And this isn't, this isn't just for next season. This is you're buying into whatever the future is for either of these players. For two, is it two, or, two or three years? Or is the future for either one? Just you, their future. Got whatever it. their future dictates. Got it. Um, for me, like, by the way, I guess we'll just reveal the poll right now. After it was up for like 24 hours at this point. After no, it's been up. It's so I've been up for, I think, uh, four hours. Whatever. It has a ton of votes. It's 50-50. Like, and the fact that it's 50-50 is really telling towards Neil Pionk. I'd rather have Mark Stahl these next two years for what he is. The walking corpse of Mark Stahl for whatever he brings to the, the locker room and his leadership and wearing the A and kind of being the C without actually being it. I'd rather have Mark Stahl than have Neil Pionk here at all. And I, I was a big Neil Pionk supporter at the beginning of the season. I thought he showed some intangibles that, frankly... You couldn't see in the analytics. And boy, did the analytics not like him. But I watched DLP Young play the second half of the season. And he missed a lot of assignments and caused a lot of goals. And was not a great defender at all and probably should have been a winger. So I'd rather have Mark Stahl be on this team for two more years. I believe it's two more years at this point, And just run out that contract than sign Neil Pionk to $4.5 million. Signing Neil, Neil Pionk to $4.5 million sounds like an absolute nightmare. It sounds like I woke up in a bad fever dream. I, I can't live that life. Yeah, so I I agree that for me the answer is stall, and it's not really that hard of a decision. Um, the reasons why are pretty simple. We as for all the deficiency that Mark Stahl has, and there are abundant. Mm-hmm. Um, we also know what works. If you if you shield his minutes on the third pairing, and if you put him with a 
hyperactive defensive partner, it seems to work. The, for whatever reason, the Tony D'Angelo Mark Stahl pairing, f- for lack of a better term, flourished in comparison to the other Ranger pairings that they ran out this year. That worked. So we can we can take a step back from the season and go, okay, we found something with Mark Stahl that works. Great. We can do that again for two to two years if we have to. Worst case scenario, bury him in the AHL or buy him out. You have options with Mark Stahl. Neil Pionk, we didn't find anything that worked. And not only did we not find anything that worked, the most dangerous thing about Neil Pionk is he's still young. So while it's tantalizing to say, well, he might be able to figure something out eventually, I don't know, guys. We were having the conversation in October about how Tony D'Angelo might not be able to ever figure it out. And D'Angelo's been around a lot longer than Neil Pionk has. A lot. Yes, they are very similar in age. So I guess you can make the argument that, see, look, it took D'Angelo a while to figure it out. Maybe Pionk can too. The difference is D'Angelo had like a three-year a three-year head start on where they both are at the age of 23. And the second, the second thing about Pionk is he gets labeled as an offensive defenseman. Not really, though. Why? Yeah, why? Yeah, I did, don't know. Did we see anything? Did we see anything in his game that we saw two amazing uh, plays, uh, amazing and Spinner Rooney goals, right? Yep. But if you if you remove that from Neil Pionk, do we have anything that indicates this guy can run a power play? No. Or produce or contribute offensively. Tony D'Angelo is legitimately an offensive defenseman. The guy can run a power sure, play. Kevin Shattenkirk too. Sure, when when Shattenkirk is healthy, he is. Yeah, and that that also furthers the point. You know who are two offensive defensemen that play on the same side of the ice as Neil Pionk that are both much better than Neil Pionk? Tony D'Angelo and Kevin Shattenkirk. Yeah. They're already New York Rangers. I, I cannot, if I'm the Rangers, invest that money in my, in my desperate cap space for, to signing Neil Pionk. There's got to be a better way to spend that money. And something against Neil, I think Neil will get paid somewhere else. Just I don't want it here. That's all. And the, the the thing that frustrates me, I think, more than most things when it comes to trades, too, is we say all these pretty negative things about Neil Pionk, and then other people will go, well, we can just trade him. For, for what, guys? We're, we're supposed to be the people that like Neil Pionk the most because we see him the most. And if we're the ones saying, fuck, no, got to get rid of him, that doesn't exactly speak confidence to other teams that he should be worth it. This is my hype, This is my gripe with every time people throw Jimmy VC into a trade rumor because, oh, well, someone's got to have that. You see value in Jimmy VC. Why? Why do they? We don't, we know it's not there. So why do we, it's the NHL. It's, it's a fair question to ask, right? There are other stupid GM. I think, I, I think Jimmy VC legitimately has name value. That's it. I know that's, that's I insane. Th- I don't even, I don't even think he's got that anymore. He had name value. When we did podcasts about Jimmy VC, first of all, we didn't know how to say his name. Vessi. And second, I was living in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. That was a long time ago. That's a long time ago. Uh, it is a very, very strange idea to have value just because of your name, but I think JBVC still has it a little bit. Neil Pionk does not have that name value. He's, his name is Mindaluth, as far as I'm concerned. And he, really, I'm not sure exactly what he would command on the open market. 
I don't even think you can get like a fourth round pick for for Neil Pionk. I'm not sure if that's. I think I think you would. I remember Nick Nick Holden got a fourth. Round. Oh fuck yeah! Never mind. You could definitely get a third Adam, round. Adam pick McQuaid. For Adam McQuaid twice this year got a fourth round pick. That's also insane. Uh, yeah, Neil Pionk could definitely go for a third if that's the case. But that's probably as far as you're gonna go. I, I can't imagine you get a second for Neil Pionk. That's insane. I just I don't know how you sell another team on Neil Pionk this offseason. It's a scrappy I, kid. I, I don't know what you, I don't know what your pitch is. Also, when you're the team that's so in desperate of defense and need of defense, and you're trying to sell some defensive players, other teams are going to look at you like, "What are you trying to do here, man?" I know well, you need also, defense. I know we're we're talking about it as if the Rangers are actually going to trade Neil Pionk. We have no, no indication to believe this team thinks Neil Pionk is a problem. Oh, that's one of the scariest parts. Just full circle back to Gordon from earlier. Like we don't. Everything seems cool right now. Everyone seems like it's just the tone I'm getting, where everyone thinks like it's complacent, and I'm not sure that's what we should be. Right. Jeff Gordon has done a lot of good. I, I don't. I don't want to shit on Gordon like we used to shit on a certain Philadelphia Flyers head coach. Okay. Um, but at the at the same time, we have nothing to indicate the New York Rangers know how to evaluate defensemen. They, it 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 doesn't exist. No, because and you, and the guys you, you, they you, continue. You can't oh, even ma- you can't even make that point about Tony D'Angelo because they really did bury him for most of the year, and he forced him. It took, and it, he it forced took, his way it took into two playing. administrations. Yes. it took two administrations to figure it out too. Yes, um, but look, it's I don't think it's Brady Shea's fault. I just don't think he's a Brady Shea's not a number one defenseman, and we've been asking him to be that for the better part of a year and a half, and it's just taking a toll. We we kind of pay him like players one, around. That's the crazy part. No, they're not paying him like one. You think five and a half million dollars is number one defenseman money? No, I guess eight is. You're right. So yeah, they're not paying him to be a number one. He's just the high. He's he's their number one right now out of circumstance. Not I, but at the same time, we also don't know if the New York Rangers view him as a number one. It's concerning if the New York Rangers view Brady Shea as a number one because I don't think that's what he is. I think if you have more competent defensemen on your roster, Brady Shea will fit right in and he'll help your team win. I don't think he can do it alone. Uh, in that in that sense, he's a little bit of a passenger. I don't think he's necessarily a, a drag on a pairing. He can definitely elevate a pairing. The Rangers are yet to find a defensive partner full-time that pairs with Brady Shea, regardless of how well we see Shattenkirk do with them. Even that is not a top pairing. I would say the Rangers need a better pairing up top than Shea Shattenkirk if they want to be competitive. And it's possible that that can happen with those two on the roster. But again, we just we have nothing to believe or work off of that the New York Rangers feel Brady Shea is not a top pairing defenseman, that Neil Pionk is not a defensive liability, that Mark Stahl shouldn't be playing a sheltered third pairing role. These are these are things we're yet to see any evidence that the Rangers feel differently about it. And of all the things in the rebuild that people should be concerned about. It's not if the Rangers sign Panarin or not. It's not who they take at number two overall. It's not what they do with the rest of their first-round picks. The thing that should be most concerning the Rangers fans is how does this team evaluate their defense, and do they see the problem? It's been 33 minutes, and I haven't said it. Cabo Caco! I feel like I had to get that out there. Um, That was a very good rant, and I want to go to our five-star questions before we get to our guest here. We have, we have two five-star questions this week. If you want to leave a five-star question, the way you do that is you go to the app or program on your computer called iTunes. It is not a virus, despite what many people say. 
search New York Rangers, click the first result, that's right, Blue Shirts Breakaway, and leave a five-star re- uh, review with your question. First five-star question is by two emojis that look like boxes because they didn't load appropriately in iTunes. Sorry, person. What are you most excited for during this offseason? So that's the whole question. Yep. What are you most excited for during the offseason? July 1st, just because I, I think it's going to be a wild day, and it'll tell us so much about the Rangers' future. If, if Artemi Panarin signs with the New York Rangers or not, just having that answer finally will finally be able to really move forward with everything we need to move forward with. For me, it's around draft day because I think that Gordon has a lot of wheeling and dealing to do. And I'm not sure how he's going to last year too, though. I know and nothing happened, but I still feel like I'm kind of like that guy who's still buying scratch offs. You know, like I still feel like there's a chance. Mm. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take July 1st. The second question, five-star question by Johnny B 73. That's fun to say. Uh, this one's directly for you, Greg and Johnny, you're not going to like this answer. Greg, um, imagine yeah. a scenario where the Rangers win a cup with Hank and never have okay. more than a two year period of non-contention after that for the rest of your life. But the okay. Mets will never win another World Series. Could you nope. could you live in that world? No. I know I, no. I know the answer. Is, guys, <laughs> I'm gonna be really, really excited yep. if the New York Rangers ever win a Stanley Cup. You will see me do ridiculous things because I'm drunk. You don't understand though. If the New York Mets win a World Series, that is my last year on earth because I will not survive the celebration. I uh will be much more excited than Greg at the parade if the Rangers ever win. I will probably be crying. Uh, but I will no, I I would not be crying. It's just I would cry. Everybody, everybody has a team they like more than every other. And most people that listen to this podcast, that that team is the New York Rangers. And I respect that. <laughs> I understand that. Listening to the but, number one New York Rangers podcast currently. Yes. Yeah, but what, I know it's the know. truth. One it's of the, the truth. things that I think we actually benefit from is I'm not a, a diehard Ranger fan that lives and dies by the team. Uh, I don't know. They're, we I we, we kind of are at the same time. We are, but we aren't. No, because I... Was this this year wasn't really stressful for me? No, it wasn't. It, Stanley Cup playoffs are always stressful, but it's just I, we're both heavily invested in the New York Rangers uh, on a professional and emotional level, right? Duh. Yep. Duh. But at, at the same time, I don't I don't lose a night of sleep if the Rangers lose a game they should have won. That's fair. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed, but I shake it off pretty quickly. If the Mets lose a game they should have won. There's like a 48-hour period where I'm just, like, agitated. And there's 162 of, 162 of those games comparatively to 82, which has got to be a yeah. nightmare for you. But a Met loss pisses me off twice as much as a Ranger loss, and there are twice as many Met losses <laughs> on a given year. There is. Yeah, well, I guess because it's been so long since the last game that really got me stressed, stressed as a Ranger fan is the Ottawa series. That's the last time I've really been, like... Of course, I've been like involved in the team, and like I really care what happens. And but I kind of knew that we were we weren't going to be playing serious hockey games all year. It wasn't like I was I was interested to see the development of the kids and how the team went. And but there was never a moment where I was like stressed and angry about a result in a game. Like fuck, we should have done this. I, I think you're right by saying that. But the Ottawa series, I literally sat in a dark room by myself for a couple hours afterwards, just sad, miserable. So yeah, I don't I don't think it took me that long. I was annoyed. The thing that was most annoying about the Ottawa series is because it was so clear why the Rangers lost. Oh god. And it was it was so easily fixable. It was miserable. I think I think the thing about the Ottawa series that actually pissed me off the most is that Vigneault wasn't immediately fired. It wasn't losing to Ottawa that made me mad. 
it was that the Rangers saw what happened and seemingly couldn't understand what went wrong and just decided to roll it over for the most part. And I think that's what pissed me off. The most. Ottawa went on to take the Penguins to seven games. And now that organization is a pile of poop. That is so sad. Jeez. All right. The Rangers should have won that series in five. Yeah, they really the should have. They lost it in did they, they lost in five, right? They did. Yeah, that's embarrassing. I believe no, they lost in six. Sorry, did they lose in six. They lost in six. That makes sense. But e- either six. either way, it's just if the Rangers won a cup and people would be like, "See, Greg, you finally got a championship," but it'd be like, eh, kind of. Oh, I would. Oh, uh, I would be flipping balls. I would be <laughs> like, just to be clear, so one of us is. I would be going crazy. I would be taking my shirt off at the parade. I'd be rolling in the streets. I wouldn't be eating horse shit because I'm not from Cleveland. But I seriously would be going nuts. The Rangers are the team I'm number one invested in over all other teams. The Rays being close be, second. Or, I mean the Yankees. I'd, I'd be <laughs> lying to you if I said there isn't a part of me that wishes my first title is with the Mets. Yeah, of course you would. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah no, but I'm – like, I will be ecstatic that the Rangers won a Stanley Cup, and then 48 hours will go by, and I'll be like, I kind of wish the Mets won the Rangers. <laughs> you fucking asshole. You fucking asshole. <laughs> like, that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. I, that's what I'm saying. I think people know I'll that. Be, I don't think this is a surprise. Like, game, game, I was at Game 7 against the Capitals when Stefan scored an OT, and I, that's still one of the best sporting events and moments of my life. Um, but it, it's just it's on the same level of the Benny Agbayani home run against the Giants in the 2000 NLDS. Like that, that moment like shifted my life, and the step on moment is a cool moment to enjoy as a sports fan. But I don't know. Yeah, it's just different, man. I don't the think Mets you say. I don't know. That's an amazing moment. Um, the, the, it, Mets, the Mets are my first love. It's that simple. I don't, I, I, I sorry, don't think. Guys. I don't think that's a surprise to literally anybody listening. Literally anyone. Yeah, but I do. I just. I feel like sometimes we get shit because people are like, "Oh, he's always talking about the Mets." Fuck off, guy. It's, it's it's a sports podcast, it's, it's, and I'm going to talk about the things I love. It's the vocal I love in this world more than the New York Mets. It's, it's the simple. vocal majority, and you know that. And I don't, guess what? I'm the vocal majority because I'm on this fucking podcast. I, I understand that, uh, and I, I feel like we've really, especially since the first year and a half we did the show, we've kicked up the way we talk about the Rangers a lot. Uh, I've also kicked up the way I talk about the Mets. That's true. You talk about them less these days. You really do. We if, if, yeah, if you. Well. If you go back and listen to some of our early podcasts, especially from the summers, like we do like a, a five minute, there's a, there's a couple episodes, like an episode 60 range. It's like, all right, Greg, what happened this week? Uh, I don't know. The Rangers are interested in Jimmy VC. Anyway, let's talk about the Mets. <laughs> that was it. Like, so we've come a real long way from what we used to be. So I appreciate you guys sticking around. Uh, before we go to uh, Matthew Estevez, I want to talk about our sponsors, the Kansas City Royals, who beat the Mets in the 2000. Okay, all right, let's move on to Matthew Estevez, and we'll come back later and talk about some Thrones and some Marvel. All right, transition. Hey, we're back with our good friend Matthew Estevez from Raw Charge. He's been on the podcast many a times. So we've traded with Tampa Bay Lightning, and we talked about it with him before. But something happened to the Tampa Bay Lightning this week. We felt like we'd be we, if we didn't bring Matt on, what were we really doing to, to, as real fans of hockey, true lovers of the sport? Matthew, say hello. How you doing, boys? Uh, I'm sure we're better than you. We have the number two pick. Things are looking up for us. Uh, we won the same amount of playoff games as the Lightning. And uh, it's got to be a weird time. I want to just say before we start, uh, 
I don't really want to make fun of you. I think it's really sad what happened, and it's it sucks a lot. But at the same time, if this Rangers were in this position, I would be throwing a shit fit. I don't know how you're coping. I would be freaking out. So please give me your mindset as you were uh, as you were playing against the Blue Jackets. So before the series happened, I was one of the few people who was actually like, Columbus is a Columbus is going to be a problem. I I still expect Tampa Bay to win, but I was by no means saying it's going to be a four or five game series. I said I, I predicted to be six with Tampa coming out, but Columbus was going to make it a pain in the ass just because at some point Columbus is going to finally put everything together. It's it's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Ha, well, God, I called one part of that right. Columbus You're- finally got their shit together. They absolutely did. Can you tell me, just from an outside perspective, which players, or actually, which former Rangers would you say were the most disappointing uh, in this series? Uh, former Rangers? So, like, McDonough, was JT, what, uh, what was JT Miller bringing to the table? I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah, I'm, like, they had flashes of being okay. Miller, I mean, we, you guys know as well as I do, Miller has always been a streaky player. Always. That's been his repertoire. He's always when he's hot, he's fantastic. When he's cold, he does some things well, but he kind of has just this weird habit of like disappearing. And he had that happen to him throughout the entire series. Um, but I personally thought McDonough was worse than Miller because there were some goals that happened, and I'm like, McDonough, what in the world are you doing, man? What in the world? Like the se- I think I think it was the second goal in game two. I think it was Dubois' goal. And the first problem was Matthew Joseph completely blowing his coverage down low because Eric Chernak went high which gave Adam Clendenning literally, like, you could, you could have driven a freaking 18-wheeler through this gaping hole in the defensive zone with Oliver uh, Bjorkstrand. And Bjorkstrand murders this one-timer, but he misses it wide. It bounces off the backboards right to Dubois, who's on the opposite post. And McDonough's just kind of standing there. And, I'm like, McDonough, and, and like, right before that, you see McDonough kind of, like, coast with Dubois, but then he stops right in front of Vasilevsky. It doesn't look what the heck Dubois is doing and just turns and like sees what's going to happen and just kind of stands there and like just like tries to reach over to Bjorkstrand and see him like, oh, you know what? I'll just leave that alone and just try to cover the back guy. And oh my God, I was like, oh. Can and I, then, can I just looks, tell you, not to looks, interrupt, but Adam Clendenning being on the, on the Blue Jackets and doing that to you guys makes me so happy in like a sick, sad way. I'm not, I'm not kidding you, man. I'm not kidding you. Like, like, go look at the second goal in game four. It's literally getting – you could drive a freaking 18-wheeler through this gargantuan just empty space where Dork Strand's at. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Could, could, yeah, I, I do, I do kind of want to get a little bit more into JT Miller because it's, it's funny how a storyline at the beginning part of the season takes on a completely different life by the time you get to the end of the season in the playoffs. And yep. Miller got off to that rip-roaring start with the lightning and every everyone in ranger circles was like how the hell did we give up this guy basically for vladdy Nemestikov at the end of the day what what was gordon thinking all this negative stuff and then you get a full 82 game season under your belt and you get a first round playoff disappointment under your belt a series where at the end it was hard enough for miller just to find any ice time and i, I just wonder if it I, it, I don't think it changed my opinion about the trade at all because it just felt like this is the guy JT Miller was and I never wanted to give him $5 million a year to be this kind of player. Does it change your mind at all about the JT Miller, not just inclusion in that deal, but the extension, especially considering the fact that there's a guy by the name of Braden Point. He needs a new contract. 
He's going to demand a lot of money, and you have a lot of holes to fill this offseason. Five million for JP all of a sudden doesn't exactly feel like that great of a deal. Yeah, well, I mean, as soon as Miller got that contract, I wasn't a massive fan of it. I understood why they had to do it because, I mean, their hands were kind of tied. And he started off quite hot with us, and he was also decent enough in the playoffs. But, I mean, his season, I wouldn't say his season was bad this year. It kind of underwhelmed in the sense of the, of the production department. But he was moved all around the lineup, and it's kind of difficult to really gauge the lighting when it comes to ice time, given the fact that Cooper – is consistently rolling four lines, probably to the detriment of his best players. I mean, Kucherov, I don't even think Kucherov averaged 20 minutes this season. I think he averaged just under that, around 19 or something like that. Um, so Cooper always kind of runs a, a balanced uh, line scheme with his, with his players. But, I mean, Miller was moved all around. and Metrically, he's been fantastic. Like, when you look at his advanced metrics, he's been great in that aspect. He's fantastic in that. But, at some point, when you're getting paid $5 million a year, you've got to at least hit the 50-point hit, hit yeah, mark, hit like 20 goals or something like that, and he didn't really do that. There were times he just kind of disappeared. You didn't really notice if he, if he was there or not. good thing, though, is I don't I, – I he didn't have any trade protection. I should probably go look at that real quick. I'm pretty sure he's one of the few guys on the team who doesn't have trade protection, which is surprising given what this team has done over the past nine years. Let's take a look at him. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, no, he has no trade protection at all. Would you – I mean, it, it's easy to say this in hindsight, but I'm always interested to hear the answer. Who would you rather have right now, JT Miller or Vlad Nemestikov? I think Miller's better than Nemestikov. Like, 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 when it comes, like when it comes to plugging Miller in, Miller can kind of fit anywhere on, on the Lightning roster. Nemestikov was essentially – if you put him with – like when we put him with uh, Stankos and – Kucherov, it was great because he worked with them really well, but everywhere else he kind of struggled because Nemeskov always needed a trigger man. Nemeskov was a guy who can play really good defense. He's pretty strong in transition, but he's more of a passer than a shooter. His shot's never really that anything special. That's why he needs a trigger man or trigger men with him in order to actually push his points up, which is why he had a career year when he was put with two elite players. Uh, Miller's kind of one of those guys you can put anywhere. Miller's much stronger. Miller's, um, Miller works the boards a hell of a lot better than Nemeskov ever did, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I would, I would take JT Miller over Nemestikov just given to the fact that JT Miller, you can plug and play with him a little better than Nemestikov. The crazy, the crazy thing is, and Ryan, I, I wonder if you agree with me on this. Nemestikov mm-hmm. was so much more of a Swiss army knife this year than Miller ever was with the New York Rangers. Yes. Uh, but Nemestikov didn't have the scoring prowess that JT Miller does have. Sure. But Nemestikov was also playing on a line with Ryan Strom and Jesper Faust. Definitely was uh, a two-way player that Miller was not. I agree with you there. But I do, I do agree with Matthew that I think Miller is the better player overall. I think it's close, but I think Miller's better. I want I to disagree. It's, it's just always when, when you're a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's not necessarily when you get to your depth players. It's not necessarily about having the better player. It's about having the player that best fits what you need. And it, it's just it's, – it's odd looking at what you're saying about Miller this year being a guy you can move across the lineup. That just wasn't a guy that he was on the New York Rangers. Whereas Nemesnikov, he was one of the Rangers' top penalty killers. He was one of their better checking forwards this year. Um, he was one of their more responsive, defensively responsible forwards. He, I would not have felt undermanned playing him with anyone. But at the same time, we're talking about 
the New York Rangers last year, who not not necessarily the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, when it comes to um, what I was talking about with moving up and on the lineup, Miller, you have to also take into account the, the just the forwards that the Lightning have in general. I mean, at one game he's playing with Stamkos, next game he's playing well. He, I don't think he actually played Quentin Kucherov at all. He moved pretty much from the third line with Sorelli and Kalor, which is one of the best lines we had all season when it came to puck possession and just making other teams' lives hell. Or he was with Stamkos. He occasionally was put in the fourth line with Paquette and occasionally Ernie, which, again, that line was also really good when it came to pinning the opposing team in the, in the offensive zone and um, putting scoring chances on that. And so when you have, like, your talent that the Lightning have at forward, that, and you have a player like Miller who can literally – you want to put him with Stankos? Put him with Stankos. You want to put him with Sorelli? Put him with Sorelli. Put him with Paquette? Put him with Paquette. You know, that's, that's really beneficial for somebody like, well, actually, essentially any coach to have. You can just plug and play with them someplace with how much talent you have. Defensively, I think he was solid. Wasn't, wasn't especially great, in my opinion. He was just solid. Uh, the Mexico, I feel, is though smarter in that respect when it comes to the defensive zone. But, again, it, it's like, you have to give and take with some things. I think Miller is. I think Miller's better because Miller's going to produce more consistently. And Miller's one of those guys on a really good team like the Lightning. You can literally just put him someplace and he'll do fine. I mean, he still put forty-seven points up this season. That's not terrible. It's a little a bit less than I would like, but it could have been a lot worse. How do has you, uh, oh, I, all all that said? Do you expect JT Miller back on the Tampa Bay Lightning next year? Man, I have no idea because points contract is going to be such a problem for this team especially if, if these unsubstantiated rumors of uh offer sheets come through and i know I, i'm of the mindset of we haven't seen offer sheets in a good bit i'm not really expecting an offer sheet but it's still still threats still out there so if that happens that's really going to cause problems but they, they've got to be somebody in my opinion they have to at least move two bodies they have to especially with the especially with jesus with four unrestricted free agents on defense I mean, that's still going to free up what four point five, three point seven, three. That's what that's six point seven. That's that's eleven. It's about thirteen and a half million dollars that's just disappearing from our defense right there. And we're only going to resign maybe one or two of them, and one of them is going to get very little money. Who who do you and, think and who do you think leaves? Do you think I I've just always assumed some combination of Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn seem like the guys that get moved. They both have no trade clauses. They have to waive those, and I think they both have certain teams. Why would you get Tyler Johnson and, no, and Alex Kalorn no trade clauses? Uh, let's see. Johnson's got a no trade clause that ki- that kicked in last season, and it's in full. It's a full no trade clause till twenty one. Alex Kalorn has a modified no trade clause starting in twenty. Wait, what? Modified no trade clause. Sorry, twenty twenty submissal. Okay, so Kalorn can be traded. It looks like he has a. 16-team list, but Johnson ain't going anywhere unless he waives his clause, period. That's nuts. Don't give depth guys no trade clauses. It doesn't make any sense. It's not that hard. Yeah, well... How did it... In one, one aspect, they're a necessary evil. In another one, it just it just handcuffs the team, and that's what's happening right now at Tampa Bay. What was the reaction in sort of the, the Tampa blogosphere to the, the final loss. When did you realize, after game three, we were like, okay, it's over now? What was the process of, I, of going I, through it? I figured it was over after game two because they did not show up whatsoever in game two. Game one was a game they completely blew. There was no, absolutely no reason they should have lost game one. They literally punched Columbus in the throat, and all they had to do was just play smart and not be idiotic, and they would have won that game. 
But what they do, they started doing some absolutely horrendous, stupid shit. Like they started overcommitting on passes that made no sense. Like the perfect example is the first goal Columbus scored in that game, the Felino breakaway. All right. So I kept harping on this afterwards and people were trying to argue with me about it. I was like, no, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Like you can't be passive. I'm not, I'm not talking about being passive. I'm talking about being fucking smart. All right. <laughs> so McDonough goes in deep. All right. McDonough's yeah. at the puck. He goes in deep. That's not a big deal. No Ford really goes back to cover for him. Problem one. Two, Chernak tries to pinch him a little, a little too aggressive. He should be a little farther back near the blue line. Chernak's damn near at the top of the faceoff circle, like kind of hovering near the slot. And McDonough's got three Blue Jackets players near him, and he tries to feed this pass through three Blue Jackets players to Chernak. It gets knocked down by Josh Anderson, and off to the races goes Felino, and Chernak can't catch him because Chernak's too deep in the offensive zone, and Felino gets the puck into the net. And it's like, all right, cool, you made a mistake, no big deal. But they kept doing that. There were so many times where Tampa was up 3 nothing or 3-1, and our defensemen are still going below the goal line. They're still trying to, like, make the pretty pass or trying to do something that's just like, oh, we're going to run these guys out of the building. You already have a 3 nothing lead. Just don't be stupid. Just don't be stupid. And that's what Tampa Bay was in game one. They were stupid. They blew that game. Absolutely blew that game. Game two came. Columbus punched him in the face, and Tampa had no idea how to react. They just looked there like, what? What? They were completely just flabbergasted at what happened to them. Game three happened, and it's like they didn't show it to the third period. Game four was probably their most complete game since game one, and their first period was absolute ass. Their second period was eh, and then their third period was like, oh, my God, where was this team for the past three games? You know? It's yeah. just, they, it, to me, to me, they failed to adapt to the 1-2-2 that Columbus was hitting them with in neutral zone and in their defensive zone. They didn't adapt to that. They didn't adapt to just how relentless Columbus was being in all three zones. And they just, they, 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 they refused to actually make Columbus's life difficult. You know, Tampa was a team that always made teams' life hard because they came in, they forechecked hard, and they, they played smart. Tampa did not play smart. They didn't play hard except for a grand total of maybe two and a half periods throughout the entire series. And Vasilevsky wasn't that sharp either. I mean, I, I, have, a, I have a piece that should be going out sometime this week, hopefully, that, um, about the whole series in general, and I point out four major things that led to the Lightning loss. And one of them was Vasilevsky getting beat on a whole bunch of long shots, especially on the power, on the, well, their power play, our penalty kill. Because um, for some reason, the fourth worst power play in the league all of a sudden goes 50% in four games. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, I have a question about, about Kucherov. I was, oh, you want to go? I ahead? have a question about John Cooper. Okay, you go Cooper first. Did so. this series cost John Cooper his job? No, Jimmy. Uh, Breeze already said he's coming back. Do you agree with that? To a certain extent, I get it. Um, I was critical of Cooper throughout the series. I felt as though he didn't really get off the right message to the media afterwards and stuff like that. Now, Cooper's always been calm, cool, and collected. That's just kind of how he is. And he didn't really show any emotion on the bench until game four when they won that offside review. Um, but just his it's good to be calm, but at the same point, you need to fire the team up at some point. And at, at times this season when the team – kind of hit some kind of wall he would let the leadership group um kind of handle it at times and i felt so he needed to be a little more hands-off i know he i know he said this before and i've been there when he said it where he felt as though he was micromanaging too much in the past which that's understandable he because that's how he was back then and he's allowed his assistants and his, and his players to control a lot more and i feel as though there he should have he should have felt the pulse of the room a little bit especially after the game two loss and really 
put his foot up their ass because I felt like Tortorella put his foot up Columbus's ass after that first period of game one, and Columbus said, we got you, and Columbus took care of business. Tampa didn't. Tampa didn't adapt. Tampa failed to pretty much step, step up to the first real adversity they faced, and they got punched in the face badly. Does the perception of Kucherov change at all? And the reason I ask this is because there's a player in New York Ranger history named Rick Nash, and he sort of had this thing where he disappeared in playoffs. Uh, Kucherov literally got suspended and also didn't play that well. Has, obviously, the MVP of the league this year, an incredible season, just an incredible player, but just didn't show up. Has the perception of him, has the perception, his perception changed in Tampa or in Lightning fans' eyes? People were harping on it, pretty much every star player for Tampa Bay in this series, Stamkos Point and Kucherov, because they all hadn't scored. It's just, it's, when it's a short series like that, it's really hard to lay a whole lot of blame because you can see the effort from all three of those players. Um, but Kucherov's biggest issue is his body language, in my opinion. Kucherov's body language is very negative in the sense of when things aren't going his way, he gets very pouty. He gets very just, just moody to a certain extent. And I said right off the bat, even you can probably go find the, the tweet too that I, I said about it. it was a stupid hit. He had no business doing it, and he deserved a suspension. He deserved that suspension. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no argument there for me on that one. Absolutely deserved it. It was stupid. It was at the end of the game. You already lost. Just take the loss move on. That was stupid of them because when they made that push in the third period of game three, they needed the key to Kucherov because they could not get through Columbus's defense. They could not get through. How could you get through Adam Columbus, McClendenning? He's such a god. I mean, it's, just, it's the I'm thing sorry. of like – Columbus kept Tampa Bay on the perimeter, which Tampa Bay has always been a little bit, little more of a perimeter team anyway because they're elite shooters. Mm-hmm. But the slot is something they've always controlled. They've always dominated the slot. You can go look at the hockey visualizations um, from Michael Blake McCurdy's website, Hockey Viz, and you can see during the regular season, Tampa dominated the slot. They weren't that, they weren't that involved right in front of the net, but the slot they dominated all season. Then you look what happened against Columbus, and it was just they just couldn't get there. And that was due to Columbus just literally just saying, you will not get here. If you're going if you're going to get here, you need to go through us. And Tampa Bay just didn't battle enough to get through it, in all honesty. They just, they just didn't. They were more content than sitting on the side and just shooting from the point or from the boards. And I'm like, you do realize this is Sergei Bobrovsky. I know he has a history of like not doing well in the playoffs, but he's eventually going to figure it out. Oh, he figured Guess it Bobrovsky out. He did. He did. <laughs> That's what he did. Yeah, he did. What uh, – I got I, – I have two – Two more big picture questions for you. One specifically about the lightning and the other specifically about the things happening around the lightning. But first you mentioned four unrestricted free agent defensemen. I know the lightning have a lot of other needs, AKA they have to trade, trade a guy and they have to sign Braden point long-term are the lightning talking about bringing in a big name named Eric Carlson or the lightning more like, Quantity over quality. Uh, the his name is probably going to come up at some point over the summer. I just don't know how. <laughs> I really don't know how, man. Because point right now, like I was thinking, five or six years, eight to eight and a half per year, given what he's done his first three years in the league. Yep. Um, which I would still take because I, you got you, 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 you got to pay him. Unless somehow, unless somehow Breezeball forces him to take a Kucherov bridge deal at like five million or something like that, which would be a robbery in my opinion. But given what a lot of these younger players have been doing, especially you know the most recent one with Austin Matthews signing his deal, which is a much more incentive deal for him than it is for Toronto, 
we might see point go that same direction, but we honestly don't know because we're hearing nothing from the team. We're hearing nothing from the player or his agent. Um, so that's very much a wait and see type approach. Would it be great to have somebody of Carlson's caliber? Yes, but I think Carlson would have to pretty much take less than what he's worth to really make it work. And I and we've already heard. We remember what Eric Carlson said when he was in Ottawa before he got traded. He wasn't going to take no discount. He's going to get what he's worth. And I fully expect somebody like Carlson to get what he's worth because, in my opinion, when you're getting paid that much money to play a sport, you make as much money as you possibly can. So now we're talking about a complete defensive makeover for the Tampa Bay Lightning. At the same time, two teams in your own division, one Detroit adds your predecessor, Steve Eiserman. He's now GM running that ship. And then you look at Florida, and as much as I like shitting on Florida, which is often, um, the fact of the matter is Joe Quenville is now the head coach down in Sunrise, Florida. Are you more nervous that you're taking an already a, a very top-heavy division with three stalwarts, and now the underbelly of that division, not just improving, but potentially improving in significant ways? I'm not worried about Detroit for at least another year or two until they actually make some moves and shed some of these garbage contracts they have. They've got some really good young pieces, especially at forward defense, not so much. And they really need to figure out who they're going to have in net for the future. Um, but it's going to take Detroit a little bit to get built up. So uh, Detroit, I think will surprise people in about a year or two when they are actually able to move some stuff, especially if they actually make, especially if they're aggressive in moving bodies and just up, uh, just getting hoarding picks and hoarding young players. Um, so I'm not really worried about Detroit right now. Two, three, in about two years, I would start worrying about Detroit. Florida, okay. So I've never really viewed the Panthers as anything more than just a nuisance because that, that organization has literally just been a joke for essentially its entire existence. Harsh words, but it, it has. The team has been a joke. It's been like, oh, the Panthers, okay, cool, whatever. You know, they, look, they made the playoffs that one year. Like, okay, they're finally getting their heads out of their ass. And then, well, well, Dale Talon. Screws it all up. Trades two top six forwards to Vegas. Like an idiot. Well, no, sorry. He trades one and then gives one away. Yes. And then, and now they have great, they have really good forwards. Their defense is eh, and their goaltendings are gargantuan question mark. Like an absolute, their goaltending is absolutely trash. Like Luongo's not what he used to be, and Reimer is Reimer at this point. Well, their, their goaltending is Sergei Bobrovsky, who you just met. Well, I mean, if, if Columbus goes all the way, Columbus might be able to keep both of them. I don't think so. so, if, if, I, so I think if, Bob's if, out. I mean, you, you say that, but at the same point, Columbus is Columbus finally won their first series, and Bob was a part of it, and Bob's been a part of that team for a good while now. He's been through the ups and the downs. If they somehow pull it off and go all the way, or at least make it to the Eastern Conference Final with that team, you could honestly probably talk at one of them. I don't know if you can talk both of them, but you can possibly talk one of them to stay. I think and they you could talk, possibly talk, 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 talk Bob or Panarin to stay. I think you talk Duchesne in the staying. I think Panarin and Bob are gone. I don't think there's any no. – cup or no cup, I think those two have property they've already signed uh, mortgages with. All, all I'm saying is, is that if Columbus gets out of the second round and at least makes the Easter Conference final, that could change the conversation – with maybe not both of them, I think Panarin's gone regardless because Panarin's already stated that he wants to go someplace that you know he, he wants to be at, you know, like location-wise. Gotta love New York City this time of year. You know, he, he, he's already stated that. But Broski, I think it's more so just the atmosphere that Broski's been a part of. But 
if they can at least get to the Eastern Conference Final and then God forbid they make it to the Cup Final and somehow even win it, that could change things. It's it's no guarantee, but that could change things. And that might be something that the Columbus front office might leverage with one or both of them if that comes to pass. I, I think I think that team finds a way to keep Duchesne. I, I think Brad and and Bob are they're gone. I it almost to me it just doesn't matter. And this isn't me just saying it because I want Panarin to sign with the Rangers. Um, no, no, it, I understand. You're 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 yeah. It just it, it feels like a situation. It, it, it's an. It, it, I'm going to bring up a name that I somehow haven't brought up yet on this podcast all day. It kind of feels Truba-ish to me, <laughs> where it it okay. didn't matter what Winnipeg did this this year. Truba was not going to sign in Winnipeg, and that's that's the kind of feeling I get and with a, Panarin and Bobrovsky. And that's a name that is going to perk a lot of teams' interest this offseason is Truba. Yeah, future Ranger, great. Yep, we'll see. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your misery and talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. If the Rangers happen to trade I mean, with the, the, tra- the trade. I, did, I, I, I barely talked about my misery. I pretty much just lambasted the team saying they, they failed to show up. <laughs> Uh, Wish they did. Do you they want? Did. Do you want one minute on your misery? Because I'll give you the floor. Uh, my misery more stems from the reactions more than the team itself. Because I expected, I expected Columbus to put up a, a really good fight, and Columbus most definitely did. And that's a lot of things a lot of people aren't really crediting them with right now. It's all oh Tampa choke, Tampa choke, and it's more so Tampa failed to adjust. Yes, they absolutely failed to show up. That is 100% correct. They failed to adjust what Columbus was doing, and their players just didn't shine when they should have. But a lot of it's being like, oh, Tampa did this, Tampa did this. No, it's very much Columbus caused this to happen. It was very much the Blue Jackets said, screw you, we don't give a damn. And we're going to make you hate your life, and that's what they did. My, my frustration mainly stepped from the reactions. People like, oh, Tampa, Tampa soft. And then I'm like, no, if you, if you are not going to the soft thing, you have no idea what you're talking about. You should stop watching hockey because you're, you're just dumb. Yeah, you're just, just dumb. I, it also feels like Columbus isn't your typical eighth seed. It's, it's more of a how the hell was that team the last team to get into the playoffs than it was shocking that they beat the Lightning. That's a fucking loaded team, offensively, yeah, defensively. Team- and if Bob's right, Bob is great. But there, there are scenarios where that Blue Jackets team finishes first in the Metro more than if, – if you did the season 100 times over, more times than not, that team finishes first in the Metro than they are I mean, the last team to get in the playoffs. Columbus's biggest issue is with inconsistency and its power play was absolute dog shit during a regular season. Now, I fully expect that power play to not be 50% moving forward in the second round because that was absurd, um, especially with the fact that I, I think I went through all of them. Like, all but one of their power play goals came from the point. Almost all of them. The only one that didn't was Duchesne's when it was, when it was, when it was a rebound that Vasilevsky put out and Duchesne was able to get around and knock it in. Every other power play goal came from above the circles. That's not, that's not a recipe for success. I'm sorry. You lucked out against Tampa with the fact that their penalty kill that was the best in the league suddenly forgot how to, do it, forgot how to kill a penalty and their goaltender forgot how to set a puck. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to happen against a team like Toronto or Boston. For one, Toronto doesn't give that many. Toronto was the least penalized team in the league. Second least penalized team was Columbus. Wow. So that's going to be really interesting to see if that happens. And Boston's Boston. Yeah. Have fun with that. If you yeah. Have fun with that if you play Boston. That's going to be a tough series no matter what happens. Matthew, why don't you plug all your stuff before we get out of here? You guys can find me on Twitter. My, at, my handle is at Matt Estevez, which is spelled E-S-T-E-V-E-S. SBN. Um, I write for Raw Charge. 
obviously, which is the uh, lightning blog that was a part of the SB Nation networks. Yep. And uh, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who consistently trolls uh, Greg on Twitter. Fair. Yeah, you don't troll me. If that's trolling, bro, we got to step up your trolling. Yeah, we're bro. we're good friends. If that's trolling, I mean, great. I haven't. I, I I haven't messaged you in a good bit because I because I've been wallowing in my despair and writing that's stuff. Fair. Yeah. So. All right, buddy. Well, we'll see you next time. We'll, sure, we'll surely have you on again this summer if something happens with the lighting. Hey, by the, oh, by the way, uh, fuck up? you for not giving us the first round pick, huh? Yeah, come on, Matt. Like, that's my fault. Honestly, not a single Ranger fan gives a shit. We're picking second overall, bro. We're and, good. And the Jets already lost. Hey, man, capo, capo, caco. Capo, capo. Capo. All right, we're out of here, Matt. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Transition to the last part Thanks, of this podcast. Boys. Bye. Hey, we're back. Great interview with Matthew. Love that guy. That's a sad story. Couldn't believe he went through that. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about Game of Thrones now and Marvel. So if you haven't seen any Marvel movies, we'll do Marvel first before we do Thrones, by the way. And then uh, okay. and then it, we're gonna talk about Game of Thrones. So if you haven't seen Thrones, you don't want to be spoiled. You can leave now. And I appreciate you listening to the podcast. You can follow me at Orion Mead, and you can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break because he runs the main account. He kills it on there. A lot, a lot of surveys, a lot of different discussions with Gregory during the week. Get, get on there. But for right now, Greg, you've been on a Marvel spree leading up to Endgame. When are you seeing Endgame this week? I'm seeing it open tonight, Thursday, 6.40. Oof. Oh, you got, you're seeing it before me. I will be seeing it at 11, oh. 11 p.m. because all of them sold out immediately on, on Long Island. Uh, I am spoiling the whole thing for you. Yep, I will be turning off my phone. Uh, so here's here's what you know what I I, I do dislike mm. I, I I hated that movie theaters have gone to the whole um, the ticket you buy is the seat you have to sit in method. Yeah, I noticed that a lot. This of is the one time that. I this is the one time I like it. That's it, right? The, like I guess this is it. Every, what other theater? What other movies can, can really even do that these days? None, really. This is like Endgame and that's it. Like maybe a Tarantino like, movie. Uh, Star Star Wars. Star Wars is the like other it. one. Yeah, you're right. But I, I don't um, I don't like I think a lot of times unless it's these events like these particular events you shouldn't be able to pick your seats you just get there early. Yeah, I it and I understand that most times you when you see a movie especially the times I see movies which is like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, um, it's not exactly like you're fighting people for seats. There's just something nice about walking into a movie theater eyeballing the theater and being like those seats right there I want those. The process of picking the seats. Yeah, I'm with, yeah, I'm with you on that because you don't really get the good feel on on online. It's not the same thing. No, like but, I don't really know how far back row J is. I have a good idea, but when I see it, I'll be like, no, no, I want those seats because I'm in the theater. Agree. So you've been going through and binging every single Marvel movie for the most part. Has there been a movie in, chronologi- in chronological order, which is insane? Too. But okay. Um, I just, I've had a lot of, it, it was Easter weekend. What am I going to do on Easter weekend? You're right. I, I, it's good that you're doing it. I kind of wish I did. I did some other things. I caught up on Barry, which is a great show. Um, yeah, I need to do that after I get through Marvel and Thrones. I'll talk about Bill Hader another day because he's very impressive in that show. But was there a movie that you went back, watched, and you were like, wow, this is a lot better than I remembered? I don't think I had Guardians 1 as my number one. That's a really good movie. It's really good. Guardians, no, Guardians 1 is... I don't think it's not just the best origin story. I just think it's the best movie in the franchise. I have a lot of time for it. It checks every emotional box you would want. Um, I think it has, if it's, it's it's either, Guardians is either my favorite cast or 
Ant-Man is my favorite cast. It's, it's got close. great music. It's got great action. It's funny. Yes. It's got legitimate drama. It's got a good origin story. It's got a, Guardians 1 is a, is a near-perfect movie for me. I agree. And it's, the, it's really the first one that made the Infinity Stones feel important. Like, because it, it took a while for us to realize that the Tesseract was actually an Infinity, Infinity Stone. Stone and yep. that it was, it was this bigger piece and a larger puzzle. But the Power Stone in Guardians, it helps you be like, oh, shit, no, this stuff is uh, super serious. And I better pay attention to it. Yeah, it's the real deal, as they say. Now, um, yeah, I just I, I, the thing that shocked me is just how much I like. There isn't a person miscast in Guardians. Just like I don't think there's a person miscast in, like I don't think Ant Man is in the top three. Mm-hmm. But it, it's hard to imagine a more perfect cast for that movie. Paul Rudd does kill it in anything he does. It's undeniable. Paul, Paul Rudd, Michael Pena, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas. Um, even the big bads are pretty good in both Ant-Man movies. Before we move on to Endgame, what was the movie that you were like, this movie stinks out loud? Uh, you just have to get through Thor The Dark World. Thor The Dark World. Like, you really just it's, have to grit your teeth. It is so bad. Um, <laughs> it is terrible. But to, it, in its defense, at least it serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. The, the Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton literally doesn't serve a purpose. That's true. It doesn't. And it's not just because they replaced Edward Norton. That movie lacks a plot. Nothing happens in that movie. All that happens is you lose two hours of time that you could have spent doing something else. I saw that movie opening night at midnight, and I fell asleep in the theater. There you go. It's not good. No, nothing. And I, and I love happens. Edward Norton, like I, unconditionally. Yeah. All right. But I, it's, it's just I, I can't recommend it less to people. It's, M- moving on to it, moving on to well Endgame. Pretend it's not there. Uh, I believe Infinity Wars or Infinity War rather is. Uh, a perfect movie. The pacing in the movie is absolutely incredible. Are you ready to be let down in Endgame, or are you accept? Or are you expecting your expectations to be met? I I feel like I'm the outlier when it comes to it. I don't really have expectations. I expect wild shit to continue, and I expect seeing some people I've spent just hours and years invested in having their stories reach an apex. So Agreed. I don't, yeah, I, I'm very okay with, unless they completely fuck it up, which I don't think they will because it's, and yeah. Marvel's yeah. just hit their stride recently. Um, it would be very hard for them to fuck this up. I just, so I, I don't, I don't think there's a scenario where a realistic scenario where I'm let down. I think there will be a lot of characters that are, that'll be their final movie. There will be a lot of serious deaths. And I, the only thing I hope for Seriously, the only thing I hope for is that if they end up doing time travel or something like that to defeat Thanos, like, I just hope it's not cheesy. Because time travel is yeah, honestly, I, like, it's so hard to do time travel well, and it's always broken. Every time you do time travel, it's it's just broken. And I hope, if they do it, I hope they do it well. That's my only, my only, my only hope and wish for this movie. Yeah, I don't, I don't see time travel being the thing they do, but I do, it's not an accident that they put um, Paul Rudd into the molecular world to end Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like that's technically speaking, Ant-Man and the Wasp is the last movie before Infinity War. It actually happens concurrent mm-hmm. to Infinity War. But that end credit scene, like Marvel doesn't do anything on accident. So there's a reason why he's super duper small. And I, I feel like there's a something he'll bring back from the molecular world that'll help 
the Avengers in some way. Interesting. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, like I said, it's going to be very hard to disappoint me. I, which is rare because normally I go in, like I went into Infinity Wars with expectations and this like Infinity Wars, they were met my expectations, by the way. Yeah. Well, like, they were exceeded yes. and they were exceeded at such a high level that I'm now at a point where I won't be let down unless they really, really, really like DC universe fucked this up. Oh God, DC is the worst. Um, let's move on to Game of Thrones because we have a few more minutes here. Sure. I think that was the best Game of Thrones episode in three years. And um, I know, I know it's a hot take. It is. Well, do you mean, do you mean three seasons? Because there really has only been like two seasons. It's the best episode since uh, Winds of Winter, which is when Cersei blows up everything. Oh, I guess we should talk okay. about this now. Spoiler alert for the following. If you are not watching Game of Thrones, please stop listening. I love you and I'll talk to you next week. Um, time. There's nothing we can talk about that happened this week that really spoils anything. No, we, we can't. Uh, I know that a lot of people on the interwebs were calling this episode filler. I do not see it as filler. I see it as the final goodbyes for many characters. I didn't think anything was too cheesy. I felt everything was no. sort of on point. The emotional moment of Jamie knighting Brienne choked me up a little bit. Uh, watching Arya have sex was weird, but also not as weird as her wearing yeah, faces super, and killing super, people. Super deep. So super D, duper D weird, super weird, but I was fine with it. I think it was like actually a, a really nice moment where it's like this rite of passage. This is a character you've seen grow up and that's why it's weird. But also this is part of growing up. So I don't think it's overall that weird. Um, and just everything about the entire episode felt really Game of Thronesy. And the way I'll describe this is in the most nerdy way possible. Sometimes when you play Dungeons and Dragons, Greg, <laughs> Oh, there is, there is, uh, there I'll are. I'll let you keep talking. Okay. I'm still listening. Trust yep. me. There are campaigns where all you do is battle, and that's kind of fun when you keep rolling the dice, see if you get crits or not, and if you if you're gonna win the fight. But they kind of get boring sometimes. And some of the better sessions you have in Dungeons and Dragons is just when you and your buddies are hanging out in a tavern talking about what's going on, and that's what really filled out in this episode is you really got information about these characters that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Everything has come to a close. Brienne's arc has come to a close. Grey Worm's arc is done. The Hound, except for Clegane. Grey Ball. Worm's art could have been done years ago. <laughs> years ago. Uh, the Hound isn't done, but only because of Clegane Bowl. Like, there's a lot of people there that have seen their final their final marks. And it, it was really nice to have all those conversations. Because I kind of knew what would happen the first two episodes. And I kind of know what's going to happen the next episode. But really, at this point, everything's up in the air for the next four. Yeah, I don't... I, I don't think you get next week's episode without having this week's episode. So I, but I also thought it was a better episode than just like ne- quote unquote necessary filler. Um, like you said, I just, I feel like it, it checked all the boxes I needed to check before the half my characters that I again spent years with just die. Um, but I do, I have first, I, I'm curious to hear who you think is going to die. Mm-hmm. And then second, I know we talked about this in our super secret group with our super secret friends. Yep, secret time. Um, I just I can't get over how deliberate it felt that they didn't show the Night King emerging from the horizon. Yeah, because whenever whenever the dead people emerge from the horizon, he's always there. Always see the Night King. There's two things. Didn't see him last. There's two things that I thought were particularly interesting. That I mean, everyone on the internet has talked about this already. The Night King not showing up there is very strange. Mm -hmm. The second thing is how safe the crypts are. <laughs> the crypts are so safe, Gregory. Everyone's going to be hiding yeah. in the crypts. 
with the yeah, dead people. I heard, I heard that, and it's like an army of dead people who has the ability to raise, raise the, the dead. dead. Hmm. Interesting. Um, now, some people, some people thought this would mean like the dead Starks would come back and be like Team Winterfell and fight back. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're like it's not going to be important that Ned or Rob or Catelyn or Leanne, Lyanna Stark are back. Like that doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is dead people are now in the crypt that are supposed to be super safe. So, but at the same time, isn't the only guy who can raise the dead the Night King? Theoretically, as far as we know. Now, so if the Night, if the Night King happens to be, I don't know, maybe White South? Walkers might actually be able to raise the dead also because when you see in an earlier episode, one of the Whites die, all the all his raised dead dies around him. So technically, they could too. So. We'll see. But I believe the Night King has the ability to do it in sort of mass. Uh, is more powerful. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what happens with him. I don't... I, I think there's a lot of different ways these next few episodes can play out. I'm very curious. Because in my mind, right, here's what happens. And I, I kind of went over this again in our super secret group. Which is, I think there's a big fight next next episode. Night King maybe loses. Four, everything kind of regroups. And Cersei's like, I'm coming up north. Five... Cersei and the North kind of fight each other. Six, clean up and story. But that feels too clean. And if that's what yeah. actually happens, I think that's just too predictable and too easy for Thrones. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just... The, Thrones doesn't do anything by accident. Nothing. You know that. Nothing. Well, and, the fact that I didn't see the Night King last night makes me think that he and um, Dead Dragon Buddy are flying around in somewhere else uh i do think if i had to guess mm-hmm. and this is literally just a guess no one get angry at me if these things actually come true yep uh my guess is Arya dies whoa i get really yeah yeah i, I think Arya eats eats shit this time do you really that's like yeah. okay so for i wanted to stay on this for a second because of everyone, you, you, you asked me who, who I think dies, and I was going to get to that. But I think of everyone in the cast, I think the only character that is, like, proof of, like, will not die is Arya. It's like, I think that's the lock of the week, won't die character. So I'm, I'm really interested that we disagree in that. Yeah, I, I just, I, I feel like she dies. Tyrion, I feel like he's a goner. Yeah, I think Tyrion's um, done, done those also. Uh... Everybody else kind of feels like I think those are going to be the big two. Like Brienne, one hundred percent is dead. Brienne is she dead. Grey Worm is dead. Beric is dead. The Hound's going to live because he still has to fight his brother. Like his purpose yeah, is still. I fight think his Jamie. Brother. I think Jamie's going to live because I think at the end of the day he's going to kill Cersei. Correct. Fill the prophecy, and uh, also Theon will die next week for sure. For uh, sure. The thing that comes, the thing that always comes back to me with Theon is how many times have you heard motherfuckers from the iron iron say what is dead may never die yeah and at some point that pay off right i guess and then also jorah is dunzo 100 percent. oh jorah could not be deader yeah he's dunzo um, miss you jorah you're love you buddy yeah and i i also i feel like sansa lives through the attack but danny's gonna turn mad queen and burn sansa alive feels that way right gonna, yeah, and then she's going to try and turn the dragons on John, and the dragon's like, bro, I don't commit well, uh, Targaryen aside. Well, the dragon's already, like, has committed. She doesn't know that she gave the dragon away to John already, but she, she fucking did. So, sorry, yeah. Danny. Uh, you gave him a dragon. I don't know why you did that. And I, 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 also, I just, I love that the entire internet um, all reacted the same way at the same time when it comes to... Uh, Arya? 
No, when it comes to Danny finding out that John is blood relative, yeah. normal human being, when they find out that their uh, significant other who they've slept with multiple times is a family member goes, yo, I've been fucking a family member. And Danny's first thought is, yo, that's still my throne, bitch. That's my throne. Yeah, they've done a really good job of painting her as sort of very unlikable uh, this whole season. And even the last season where it starts like with Danny, because Danny is a really strong individual character who like in earlier seasons is crazy likable and is trying to figure out how hard it is to rule and all that. And just the last couple seasons has been like, Danny, like get a grip here, man. Like the dead are coming. I still go back to episode one of this season where Danny just fails in her ability to read the room. It's like, stop telling Sam you killed his entire family. Like, (laughs) enough. You came down here to congratulate the kid for saving Jorah's life. And now you're like, oh, by the way, your dad's dead. And Sam's like, all right, fine. He was a bit of a dick. My brother, though, cool guy. And she's like, no, no, dead too. Killed him as well. Killed him as well. Both both of them are dead, yes. Yeah, at some point, Danny just like nod and agree. And then after after the war happens at Winterfell, just be like, oh, no, what happened? Oh, What's so things? weird. Oh, I did burn them. Wow. Uh, it just – she is a character that I, I do feel like they're setting her up to be a villain. And I, I'm, I'm curious as to if they end up changing that or not. I, I officially don't know what will happen in the next couple episodes. I think there's so many different possibilities. Obviously, a lot of people are dying next week. But after that, I, I – I'm sort of curious as to see if, if the Night King goes south and fights King Landing instead of being at Winterfell. I'm really uh, – if that's the case, I never saw that coming. I really didn't. Yeah. I, I, the series is positioning itself where one of John and Danny will not be with us at the finale. And it, it's just – I mean, it's the one show where I guess we can't put it past them I to basically have the villain be the champion at the end. Yeah. It's the same show. It's the same show that killed Ned Stark. It, Not even at the finale. Episode, episode 10. <laughs> or episode 8. Like, yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, so it's it's the one show where we can't just say, well, the good guy will prevail at the end. No. There's I, no guarantee that I don't happen. see how John makes it through the whole thing. I really don't. I love John. Just don't see how he's making it. Just probably going to be done. But the only I way I can see him getting through it. I mean, one more short joke at Jon Snow's extent. Dude, Kit... Call your agent, dude. I literally posted <laughs> I posted nothing on the Reddit live threads except for when they she was like, you know, the other one was a bit taller. I was like, I just posted immediately on the, on the Reddit live thread. I'm like, dude, Kit takes massive L's on his height every episode. It's crazy. <laughs> how do you how are you letting him do this? Like, they pay you extra? Because they better be. Christ. Indubitably. Uh, indubitably. All right, dude. We're out of here for this week. Thanks for staying for our Thrones talk. We're going to have a couple more of those, as you probably guessed. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk more Rangers, Mets, and Game of Thrones. Peace out, guys. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.